Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Matthew chapter 26. So so when we're in these chapters, you're, you're really just a few days away from the crucifixion of Christ. But really, there's a lot more chapters about these last few days of, of Christ's earthly ministry. Uh, much more time is given to that, comparatively, than to any other period in, in his life. Okay? And um, so, when we're here in, in chapter 26... You see, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. You remember how we had Christ coming into Jerusalem, and all of that is just days before his crucifixion. And here they are two days before the Passover. Now, the Passover, if you remember, the Passover was instituted, you know, back, back uh, when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. But the Passover is all figurative of the crucifixion of Christ. And in fact, what you find with these feast days uh, of Israel, uh, you know, they, the, uh, Israelites had seven annual feasts, three spring feasts, three fall feasts, and then the uh, day of Pentecost, which was kind of in, in between the two. And the spring feasts all really uh, point to the, the incarnation of Christ. Okay? And the fall feasts point to the second coming of Christ. The, these, these spring feasts, and the spring feasts you would have the, um, uh, you have Passover, uh, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Okay? Um, those those feasts are fulfilled here uh, in these in these couple of chapters, and the Passover is a feast really that speaks of the crucifixion of Christ. You remember how uh, in the Passover they were to kill the lamb, take the blood, put it on the on the doorpost, and then the the angel of death would pass over that home. Um, they they would be saved by the blood. The blood was the was the token of that. Um, so here, as they're getting close to the Passover, uh, even if you didn't know what was coming, you should be looking for something big to happen here in in this passage. Um, I I will say that when you study some of these things in depth, there is a it can be kind of difficult when you compare it to various gospel accounts to work out some of the chronology and exactly what is happening on, on what day. And um, some of that has to do with, with even, I mean, there's even some confusion about the Passover uh, because, of, because of the way the Scripture describes it, you know, talking about an evening, you know, it talks about uh, 
Israel keeping the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even. Okay, well, is that the evening that begins the 14th day of the month or the evening that ends the 14th day of the month? Um, as you come in, come down through a passage like this, and we're not going to go in, into this in great detail, but you see here, it's two days. He says, after two days is the feast of the Passover. Um, the, if you read verse 3, it says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes, the elders of the people, under the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. And, and there's some discussion about what day, for instance, was Christ, was Christ killed on Passover day? Was he killed the day after Passover? Was the, the last supper that Christ ate with his disciples, were they eating that meal while the rest of Israel was celebrating the Passover? And was it a, a Passover meal or uh, you know, some some people would say it was a Passover meal, but they but they were eating it one day early. You know, that when you try and work out the chronology, uh, there are there are some things that are a little bit difficult maybe to to uh, reconcile. But um, you know, rather than getting into into all of that detail, you understand the the close proximity here. I I believe that Christ is actually killed on the what would be the day of Passover, the day after they would have eaten the Passover. That last supper was a Passover meal, and um, that that uh, he was killed on, we would say the next day, but by the Hebrew reckoning, would be the same day, because they reckon the day from evening to evening, sundown to sundown. Okay? But... Uh, the uh, you see the intent there of the leaders, uh, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people is that they are going to kill him. Now this is not some new decision they've made. They decided it long ago. They've been looking for opportunity for a long time uh, how they can put him to death and and do it. You see, you see very often in their mind, just like you have there in verse five a lot of their reasoning about what they're going to do or not do is not based on, on what's true or what's right. It's based on what is politically expedient, right? They say, okay, we want to kill him, but we want to avoid an uproar of the people. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to um, offend the people. And, and so they're always trying to weigh those things. They've decided here they're going to kill him, but they need a way to do it where they don't look bad, and and uh, you see that they're they're even planning out, you know, what day can we do it when it's not going to cause a, a disturbance from the people. And in verse six it says, now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now it's important to understand that uh, here in these in these final days, you know, Christ spent most of his ministry not down around Jerusalem but up in Galilee, okay? That's where, that's where you know, mo much of his earthly ministry was spent. Here in these last few days, he's come down to Jerusalem, but, but realize that he doesn't stay in Jerusalem. Um, what he does, you know, even when he, he enters there, 
uh, into the city in what people call the triumphal entry, he doesn't stay there in the city. He leaves, and, and he's spending the night in Bethany. Now, Bethany would be a town that's not too far from Jerusalem. You could, you could walk out to Bethany and then come back into Jerusalem the next day. Okay? Uh, and that's where Mary and Martha live. That's where Lazarus lived. Here it says he's, he's staying in the house of Simon the leper. So he knows people there. There's people he's very close to there in Bethany. Uh, but, so, so, uh, that's where he is here. Um, again, this is a, a couple days before the Passover. He's in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. And verse 7, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. And so so they're here, you know, eating a, a meal together, and this woman um, anoints Christ with oil. She um, uh, pours it on his head there, and um, you see that there's some discussion among the disciples. Now, what you see, even here, as, as we know that the crucifixion of Christ is so close, the disciples aren't thinking about Christ's death. Uh, in fact, even, you know, even at the Last Supper, they're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, you know. Um, these kinds of things. They, they don't, I mean, we can see what's coming, of course, we know what's coming, but that's not what's on their mind. And, and here this woman comes and, and honors Christ in this way, and they're thinking, you know, well, we could have done other things with, with this money. Now, um, if you go over to Gospel of John chapter 12, the very next thing in our text in Matthew after this, this incident with this woman is that Judas goes to uh, plan how to betray Christ. Okay, and it just seems kind of sudden when you read it in Matthew, but but notice here how John describes this. Um, you can see in in uh, verse verse four, well, verse three, verse three tells you that this is Mary. Other places she's just referred to as a a woman, but uh, this is this is Mary here that comes and and anoints. Uh, here John tells you that she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? So so you see who the instigator is here in in this discussion about how valuable 
this was. It's not just the disciples in general, but it's Judas himself. And verse 6 gives you some insight into what Judas' thinking is. It says, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So Judas is sort of the treasurer for the, these disciples that follow Christ. He's the one who holds the bag, and it says he's a thief. And uh, it's not that he cares about the poor. You know, he says, why well, we could have sold this and given it to the poor. It's not that he cares about the poor. It's that he cares about what's in the bag because he keeps the bag, and he takes a little for himself. Okay? And, um, and, and I'll tell you that same thinking that's going on there with Judas Iscariot, a lot of people that talk about helping the poor have more of the kind of motivations that Judas Iscariot had than any kind of motivation to help the poor. Alright? But, uh, so, it's then, uh, after this, this incident here that Judas goes out to see how he can betray Christ. If we go back to our text in Matthew 26, uh, you see verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests. Now notice, the chief priests don't come to him and, and try and turn him against Christ. He goes to them. Right? And he said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver, and from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. And and Judas Iscariot, if you you know if you if you read, you kind of follow through what happened with Judas Iscariot. Here he agrees uh, to to betray Christ for thirty pieces of silver, and and understand what this betrayal is. I mean, Christ, if they wanted to just publicly come and, and take Christ, there would have been no no difficulty for them doing that. But they're trying to do this all in a way that they're not going to cause an uproar among the people. Right? And so what they're what they're wanting is they're wanting somebody who's going to be able to to notify them about, you know, where Christ is, that kind of thing, so that they can they can do this at a convenient time. Okay, they're going to wind up arresting Christ at night uh, in kind of a kind of a place where there's not a lot of people around and, and that kind of thing. And so what they're contracting with Judas to do is give them information so that they can take Christ in, in a way that's going to you know fit with with their objectives here. And and they make that agreement for thirty pieces of silver. Now if you're familiar with what happens with Judas later on, after um, Christ is is uh, taken into custody, uh, and later on Judas is guilty for for what he did, and he comes and he tries to give the money back, and these these same priests and and scribes that pay Judas to betray Christ. They won't take the money back because they said it's blood money and they couldn't, they couldn't legally put it into the, you know, the temple treasury, uh, because it was, it was blood money. Now, they could take the money out of the temple treasury, apparently, to pay somebody to betray Christ, 
but they couldn't take the same money that they paid, they couldn't take it back into the treasury. And Judas winds up leaving it there. Now they uh, take that money and they, they buy a, a field. And actually, Judas goes out and kills himself, commits suicide out of, out of guilt. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't really repent of what he did or, or, you know, anything like that. Of the, of the twelve disciples, by the way, Judas is the one that scripture indicates was not saved. Alright? And, and he, you know, he goes out and he kills himself, and they take that money, since they can't take it into the treasury, and they buy a field, and that's where Judas is buried. And, um, the, the, the term a potter's field, uh, sometimes you hear that today, although not so much today, but a potter's field, um, historically is referred to a, a place where poor people are buried, you know, uh, a lot of municipalities and things used to have like a, a place where the poor would be buried, poor and indigent, and uh, that sometimes would be referred to as a, a potter's field. But, so you see here, Judas makes this agreement that he is going to betray Christ. And um, the, the Lord here begins to make preparations, or to have his disciples make preparations to eat the Passover. Uh, you can see in verse 17, it says, Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And here again is one of those chronology difficulties because if you go back into uh, the book of Leviticus and read about the, the feast days, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread technically begins the day after Passover. Now here they are before the Passover it calls it the first day of unleavened bread, but they're deciding where to eat the Passover. So it seems that some of these terms are used in kind of a broader sense uh, than you know than the specific technical sense. Because again, technically the the Passover, Passover would be on the 14th of the Hebrew month Nisan. The Feast of Unleavened Bread would go from the 15th to the 21st. It's hard to understand how here they could be before the Passover and it could call it the first day of Unleavened Bread. Okay, it, it, There's no way it can be using that term, the first day of Unleavened Bread, in the same way that it's used when those feasts are originally laid out by God. It has to be used in some sort of a, a broader sense. But... Uh, you see that verse 18, he said, Go into the city to such a man. Say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. So this meal that they eat together, that, that uh, we refer to as the Last Supper, is a Passover meal. Again, because of some of the chronology, some people might debate whether they're eating it at the same time that the rest of Israel is eating the Passover meal or, or whatever. I think they are. Um, but uh, it is, Christ calls it a Passover. You know, they come saying we need to prepare for the Passover, and, and Christ calls it a Passover. And so 
this this meal that they eat together is the Passover. And in verse 20 it says, Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And uh, some of the, the occurrences here at this meal are, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things going on here. And um, some of it we won't go into a, a great a great amount of detail. But you see in verse 21 it says, As they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now this is right after Judas has gone and made the agreement to betray him. Uh, Christ knows what Judas is up to. And verse 22 says, And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Now, you know, as we picture Matthew's account, um, it, it may sound like or seem like everybody there is, you know, aware of everything that's being said here and that it must be clear to everybody that uh, Judas is going to be the one to betray him. But, again, if we compare with some of the other Gospel accounts, it's not quite so clear. If you go over to John chapter 13, here we get a, a little better picture of what all is said. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked on another, looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And that's a, a term, usually that's a term that John uses to refer to himself. Okay? And uh, Jesus and John seem to have had a very close relationship. And uh, so here he's, it describes him here as leaning on Jesus' bosom. Uh, verse 24, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Now, here you can kind of, you can kind of picture this, you know, John is right there next to Jesus, Peter is somewhere, you know, somewhere else, and, and when Christ starts telling how one of them is going to betray them, Peter starts making motions to John, ask him, you know, ask him who it is. And, um, so, you know, when they're in verse 22, where it says that the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake, and, and uh, back in Matthew where it says, you know, they're kind of going around saying, is it I, is it I? Um, a lot of that discussion is not necessarily them with the Lord. It's them sort of discussing among themselves. And not only that, you understand, when they're asking, is it I, is it I? Probably a lot of what they're really asking is, is it you? Is it you? Right? Because, you know, these, these disciples certainly are, are thinking, well, I wouldn't be the one to betray Christ. But 
you know, Peter, Peter beckons there to John. And in verse 25, he then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give it something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So, so um, Judas here leaves the supper. Now, when when it gets to the part, if you go back to Matthew 26, when it gets to the the part of the meal where Christ is uh, sharing the the bread and the cup with his disciples, and he talks about the bread being his body and and the uh, cup being his blood. Uh, the New Testament in his blood, Judas isn't there with them anymore. Jesus tells tells Judas to go, and Judas is going to... The next time we see Judas, he's coming back um, to point out who Christ... you know, point out Christ with a kiss to the, uh, the officials that are coming there to arrest him. So, he isn't there for this this time of close fellowship that they have here with the, the bread and the cup. Um, back in Matthew 26, you can see verse 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, these disciples, you know, when the, when the woman comes and, and anoints Christ with the ointment, uh, he says it's for my burial. Here he's talking about his body and his blood. Uh, of course, he had told them before about... Uh, it being required that someone eat his body and drink his blood, right? And, and many people were offended at that. Um, but here he talks about the, the New Testament and his blood. He says that he's not going to drink of the fruit of the vine with them again until he's in the, the Father's kingdom, right? So he's he's obviously preparing them for something, but they still seem just sort of sort of uh, oblivious to what's going on here. And of course, you know, by this time he's been talking about his death to them, but every time he, he brings it up, it's just they don't, they don't understand what he's talking about. Um, they, they leave that supper and they go out into the garden, and, and we're going to read all of the details there, but you're probably familiar with how uh, he takes Peter and James and John and he asks them to watch while he goes and, and prays, and they keep falling asleep, right? And and you have just this this account of um, really this this uh, close fellowship between Christ and the Father as he prays there in the garden, 
and he prays that if there's any way for this cup to pass from him, you know, but, but then he subjects his will to the will of God the Father because there was no other way. God had a purpose in that death of Christ and there was no other way for God to provide salvation for, for Israel or for mankind uh, without the death of Christ. And, and you see that you really see the humanity of Christ on display there. Christ as a man did not want to go to the cross. He, did, he didn't, you know, that wasn't something he looked forward to. Uh, he asks if there's any way for that cup, the cup he's talking about is the, the cup of the wrath of God that he would experience uh, on the cross of Calvary. And you see him there express that it's really not his will to go to the cross, but you see him subjecting his will to the will of the Father. You see Christ saying, not my will, but thine be done. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.